All right, please be seated. While you're sitting down, our third through fifth graders are dismissed to their class. I also want to encourage you to take out your Bibles and to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And this morning, after a break through the summer in the parables, we are coming back to our study through the book of Romans. We're, over the next few months, we're going to finish studying Romans 12 through 16 together. And so this morning, we're going to come back into that and just read verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12 as we consider God's word this morning. If this is your first time here, my name's Colby. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. We're glad that you've joined us, and we're going to do what we do every week and open God's Word, uh, read it together, and just ask the Lord to speak through it to us. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we just invite you into this moment in our lives as we read these words and consider them. We ask that, Lord, uh, you would not only allow us to understand them with more clarity, but, Lord, that you would uh, allow them to cause us to understand ourselves and understand you. Lord, that they would have an impact on the way that we see our lives and our willingness to come with complete devotion to you and offer our lives so Lord, we ask for this through the power of your holy spirit we ask that your spirit would fill our lives with a sense of your purpose with the power for transformation and change with insight into the ways in which our lives lack devotion to you so that you can be glorified in us in jesus name Amen. Amen. Ezra, just take me down just a little bit. I'm ringing up here. Uh, you know, this morning we're going to look at these two verses, and it reminded me of a conversation that I had uh, a few months ago. Uh, it was with uh, somebody who had been visiting the church and uh, was not a Christian and was exploring their faith, and as I usually uh, do, I got together with them for a personal conversation to talk more clearly about the gospel, to find out where they were spiritually, and they'd probably been uh, to three or four worship services, and when we got together, I uh, took some time to ask them what had motivated them to come check out the church, and they had been invited by some other people, but they had said they'd been looking in their life to see some changes, that some things in the previous year had upended their lives in a significant way. And they knew that some things needed to change. And so they thought about four or five different areas that they'd never really considered in life. And they wanted to try to just sort of add those areas to their life to see if it would make a difference. One of those areas was going to church and considering spiritual things. And so we talked about some of the other things that, that uh, had been going on and some of the other things that they had tried and how those were impacting this person's life. 
And then we talked about Christ. We talked about how Christ doesn't just, uh, doesn't just come into our lives as an add-on, but that He actually invites us to see our entire life rethought and reshaped around the image of Him. And, uh, and, and so uh, we talked about that, and I said, what have you been learning from being with us over the last four weeks? And I remember he said that this spirituality thing isn't just an add-on to my life. And that if I'm really serious about it, it will cost everything. And I'm not ready for it. And I said, I, I can't actually offer you anything else. <laughs> and, uh, you know, really what, what he understood is exactly what Paul reminds us is true about the gospel right here in Romans 12. If you haven't been with us through verses 1 through 11, he's been, he's been unfolding to us the powerful mercies of God in Jesus Christ. And he comes to this passage, and now from 12 through 16, he's going to show us practically what it looks like for us to live lives that respond to that gospel and God's mercy. And the answer is, it's a life of complete devotion. The main point of this text and Paul's shift is to uh, show us in, in chapters 12 through 16 what a life of practical, wholehearted devotion to him really looks like. For us to be able to see the ins and outs in various ways. And we, if you stay with us over the next few months, we're going to see the ins and outs in a number of different subjects. We're going to think about what it looks like in the church. We're going to think about what it looks like in, in relation to God. We're going to think about it, what it looks like for us to be faithful Christians devoted to God in relation to government and other authorities in our life. What it looks like for us to disagree well with one another, but do so with a sense of devotion to God. What it looks like for us to relate to God with a sense of devotion in light of his mission. And all of these things, practically, Paul's going to show us. But before he gets started showing us those practical things, he wants it to be clear to us that the gospel calls for the complete devotion of our lives to God. And that's what this text shows us, and uh, there are four particular insights I think that this text really brings out, because maybe you're here and you're like, of course, you know, we're supposed to be devoted to God, we're supposed to be committed to God, but sometimes we let that fall into vague categories, don't we? Categories that we can't really use very clearly to determine, you know, am I really living a life of faithfulness? And Paul, he wants to help us. He gives us insight on what it looks like for us to live lives of devotion to God. And there were four particular insights in this, these two verses that really jumped off the page to me that I think can help us answer the question and get inside the idea that the gospel calls us, calls for the complete devotion of our lives to God. And so that's our main idea this morning. And point one that we'll see in the text is that complete devotion is the reasonable response to God's mercies. The first thing he wants to show us is that if we comprehend God's mercies for us in the work of Jesus, in the gospel of Christ, that complete devotion is actually the reasonable response to God's mercy. Let's look in the text. Paul begins in verse 1 of this section with a sort of bookend motivation. He starts off and he says, I appeal to you. You see that? 
So when somebody's making appeal, what are they doing? They're reasoning with us. They're saying there's a reasonable conclusion that I've been preparing for you as I've been unfolding the good news of Jesus. He appeals to the mercies of God in the beginning of the verse. And in the end of verse 1, he says that this sort of responsive, complete devotion is our spiritual act of worship. Now, I dug into that word a little bit because here's where you can see the bookend of this logical, reasoning response to God. It's not so obvious in the uh, English Standard Version, which we, re- we read, but the end of the sentence really is the Greek phrase, logikain latreon. Now, those of you who don't know Greek, which is most of us, right, uh, might have heard the word logical in that first word. And in some translations, I think the King James Version, the New King James, maybe even the NIV, the way it reads there is that it says, this is your reasonable service. Well, Latreon is a word for worship. It's a word for, for coming in service of worship to God, for thinking about the activities that particularly re- relate to showing God's worth. But here he says that it is our logical act of worship to bring our bodies before God as living sacrifices. And so the bookend is he appeals to us at the beginning by the mercies of God. It says, if you understand the mercies of God, you will understand that it is reasonable. And at the end, he says, responding this way is the reasonable act. That it actually makes sense. That for, for a person to claim to believe the gospel of Jesus and not have a sense in which they want to bring their life in full-hearted devotion to God is to miss the gospel altogether. That's what he's saying. So ask, I want to ask a question. Have you seen the truth of the gospel clearly enough to believe it is reasonable to devote your entire life to God? Is that true of what you've seen in the gospel? Or for you, has it just seemed like spiritual things might be a nice add-on to your plan and your purpose? Paul is convinced that, that, that it is this, this is the sort of gospel that we have, this message of Jesus, this thing that God has done in Christ is worth our entire devotion, and he's been showing us that in chapters 1 through 11. In Romans 1, he reminds us that we were created by God as reflections of his divine power and glory. We traded the divine purpose of reflecting God's glory by worshiping the creature rather than the creator and making ourselves the end goal of everything that we do. This refusal to acknowledge God as central, as creator, opened our lives to all sorts of sin that has dominated us personally and corporately and has corrupted God's world with all sorts of evil. He concludes in chapter 3 that this is not the problem of just a few of us, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, of recognizing God as the glorious center of our lives and living in devotion to him. Well, although this corruption is deserving of judgment from God, God desired to deal with our sin rather than abandon us and set forth Christ in our place at the cross to be our sacrificial offering of payment for sin, to be received by us by faith as a promise of God's forgiveness. 
Then in Romans 5, we read that God's deep love for us personally was given in Christ even while we were still sinners. That while we were still neglecting God and living our own lives, God had already done what was necessary for us to be reconciled to Him and displayed His love by sending Christ and giving a promise to us that we need not suffer His wrath on our sin if we'll trust in Christ by faith. In Romans 6, Paul reminds us that if, we're, if we were given our appropriate wages before God, we deserve death and judgment, but says that instead God offered this eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ as a gift, something we receive without payment of our own, but at cost to Jesus. Though we are undeserving, In Romans 7 and 8, we discover that not only does this new relationship by faith grant us forgiveness and pardon from God, He comes and He fills our life with His Holy Spirit to empower genuine change in our life towards God's purposes and instruction. And through the indwelling Spirit, we can find power to overcome the deep habits of sin embedded in our bodily life and natural responses, and we can develop a life of devotion toward God. And ultimately, Romans 8 ends reminding us that although we live in a broken world that groans under sin's corruption, we can never be separated from the love of God. There's nothing in in all the universe that can separate us from the powerful love of God that belongs to us in Christ Jesus so that it says in Him we are more than conquerors. All of this is a gift of God's undeserved mercy. All of it. And Paul says it is is only logical reasonable if we believe this gospel to live lives of complete devotion as a response to this mercy from God. So the first thing we see here is that this this complete devotion that this passage calls for is the reasonable response to understanding God's mercies. And I just wonder if you have seen God's good news in Christ in a way that has brought out a desire to be completely devoted to him. The second thing we see in the passage gives us insight as well. It shows us that complete devotion is the practical offering of our life. When we go, well, what shape does this take? If I'm going to be devoted to God, what does it look like? And he says what it looks like actually is, is that we are going to practically offer every aspect of our life to God for his service, for his glory, and for his transforming work to be done in us, in the text, we see this when he says, when Paul helps us consider for a moment uh, this urging that we make a living sacrifice with our lives, a living sacrifice. I like the story from Pastor Tony Evans. I think it captures this sense in which we make this complete, devoted, practical offering. He. Uh, he tells, tells the story of the, the chicken and the pig. Both are walking down the street one day when they come to a grocery store with a sign in the window that reads, Bacon and eggs desperately needed. The chicken looks at the pig and says, I'll give them the eggs if you'll give them the bacon. Of course, the pig looks at the chicken and replies, No way! The chicken asks, Why not? 
To which the pig states, because for you it's a contribution, but for me it's my life. You know, when people think of their lives, they often think, I'm happy to make a contribution. A contribution of some part of my life to whatever it is seems to matter to God. But here in this passage, he's not talking about making a contribution. He's talking about our life in every moment, in every aspect, the very living that we do in our body, devoted fully to God. That's what he means when he says offer our bodies. He, he means that, that the living that you do, which is all mediated through your body, the living that you do in all the practical ways, the talking, the rejoicing, the walking, the going, where you sit and where you rise and who you spend time with and all the, the things that you turn your mind to and, and all of those things in, in every way in which we have been pressed into existing in this world that, that it belongs as an act of devotion to God. You see, complete devotion is the practical offering of our life. In, in ancient Rome where this letter is written to, there were all sorts of temples and towns and cities devoted to various deities, so-called. In fact, if you remember Acts 17, Paul is walking through the city of Athens, and it says that he saw that they were very religious by the sheer number of altars that were erected all through the center of the city. And those were altars on which they offered sacrifices. Design, divine significance was assigned to all sorts of domains in life, whether it was the work domain or the field domain or the family domain or the children domain, and all sorts of significance was assigned to lots of different deities, and there were altars on which you might offer a contribution to the God who could bless you in that domain. The offerings of these sacrifices were acts of devotion to the deity. You can still go places in the world where you see this dominant way of thinking about spiritual things. I can remember being in uh, Kathmandu in 2014 and being struck with how not only in the center of the city were there altars and places where they would offer uh, devotion through portions of one thing or another that belonged to them. That all around the various properties, there were places where this was going on day and night. Portions to gain blessings from God. An offering from the flock whose life was cut off and no longer useful for enriching their own lives. A portion of grain not used for consumption by the family. All sorts of things offered as an act of worship. Whatever symbolic significance that a sacrifice like that could make, Paul says... That we as Christians worship in an entirely different way. The calling is for us to be living sacrifices, not separated out from real life for just spiritual things on an altar at the side, but devoted and set apart for God right there in the middle of all of it. This is the complete devotion that the gospel calls us to, invites us to. Complete devotion is the practical offering of our lives to God. The third thing we see in this passage is that complete devotion is the presenting of our bodies to God. Now, 
maybe one of the more interesting aspects of Paul's words here in verse 1 is the use of the word body for what we are to offer to God. It seems like an odd thing for him to just do that because we're generally, when we hear him say that, uh, if we disconnect it from the rest of the book of Romans, we hear this, you know, like, in what sense is this just a physical offering? We think of our bodies uh, as just the physical category of our life, right? And I would suggest that that's a really modern way, <laughs> a divided way to look at it. It's not a very biblical way for us to look at our lives, to see our bodies as compartmentalized from the rest of who we are, but that our bodies are the place where we express the entirety of our being out into the world. Where God's worth can be displayed, it's, it's the tool in which this happens through. And the reason that Paul uses the term body here, when he says offer our bodies as this practical action of worship, is because it captures the essence of what he's been teaching us about real spirituality, a real spiritual life in Romans 6 through 8. And so... Paul's insight into the spiritual life in Romans 6 through 8, we focused on, and I just want to remind you, you can always go back and, and look at sermons from that particular section. I think of a sermon that Joe Kraft preached about presenting ourselves, presenting our bodies before God. An additional sermon in chapter 7. You go to the website in the sermons tab in the Romans series section. You can find and catch up if you want to catch up on some of the things we've already talked about here in this book. But, but Paul has been helping us gain insight to the spiritual life. And, and Paul's insight into the spiritual life is that practically the decisions we make with our will at the center of our lives. If we think about ourselves, we go here at the center of our lives, there's a control center. We put words to it. The Bible uses heart. And for the decision-making aspect of it, it uses will. And so we have this, the, the desire-producing sense of our heart. And, and in the center, we've got this decision-making aspect in which we use our will to enact things with our bodies in the world. And Paul is showing us at the center, we have this idea of our will being there and, and, and what happens is the decisions that we make with our will at the center of our lives, they reinforce habits that are stored in our bodies. Now Paul is showing us this in Romans 6 through 8, that when he uses the term flesh in the book of Romans, what he's talking about is bodily habituated habits of the will. So we make decisions we make repeated decisions, and our bodies are actually in the goodness of God, and for good purposes are created in a such a way that we quickly habituate the patterns of our will so that we don't have to think so deeply about what we do all the time, and we can turn our attention to other things. If you notice, when we act, this is what happens. You have lots of habits. You've got lots of things in your life that are second nature. When we train people, we train them to do certain things repeatedly so that they become habituated, so that that they're not having to think all the time, dribble the basketball, and now try to run. Now swerve left, right? You know, that's, that wouldn't be very good, right? Someone who's playing a sport has habituated all sorts of activities that they just respond. But what happens is, this is, this is true of our lives. Paul is showing us this is what our bodies do. We 
make decisions with our will that become ingrained habits stored in our bodily life. This is, and, and so, so the carrying out, listen, what that means is the carrying out of our lives under the power of sin has taken, has taken a will bent on serving itself stored up deeply ingrained habits in our bodies that have enslaved us to a pattern of practice that dishonors God. We've got whole patterns locked up in our life as a result of sin captivating our will, turning us on ourselves and against God and habituating that whole pattern of life. You ever feel that? So, listen, what that means is even when we begin to rethink things inwardly, maybe when you became a Christian and you turned your attention to God and began to submit yourself to Him and listen to His teaching, when we begin to rethink things inwardly, we find it difficult to experience much change, don't we? We, we don't experience always much change initially because there are powerful factors in the habits of our bodies that are playing against this new way of living, this instruction from God's Word. Particularly, once, particularly what happens is when we become a Christian and the Spirit indwells us and begins to give us new desires, we find that those new desires run into challenges before they ever get out into life. Over and over. These ingrained habits or patterns of sin stored up almost reflex-like in our bodies are what the Bible refers to as the sinful flesh. We're habituated towards sin. Paul says that practical progress in a life with God happens then as the Holy Spirit, which now indwells us, overcomes the weakness of our will and causes us to present our bodies to God as an act of worship and live in obedience to Him by the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit so that God can create new patterns in us. This is what he says in Romans chapter 8, that unless we put to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Holy Spirit, we won't live. We'll continue to walk in disobedience to God. Though there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it's only through the submission of our lives to the power of the Spirit and the bringing of our whole life and devotion before God that we become reshaped and refashioned into His image. I wonder if you've experienced that. You know, it sort of reminds me of my poor craftsmanship in carpentry. You know, once you bend a nail, if you've got to drive it into any it's not easy to just unbend that nail, is it? To work its way out. You almost have to, like, recast it. <laughs> Melt that thing down, turn up the heat, put it back into the form until it's reformed, it's, it's been bent by something. Well, verse 2 here, verse 2, is meant to further explain this idea that God takes us as we present our bodies, the things that we're going to do in them, to God practically before Him in lives of devotion. He begins to reshape us in deep 
significant ways. And verse 2 further explains this. Look at the comparison. We have this choice, he says, between a life that is conformed to this world or one that is transformed by a renewed mind with new ideas that we are to carry out in our bodies. So this choice, what does Paul mean by that? Well, a life of devotion is about presenting our bodies to God to be retrained after His likeness and image. The alternative, he says, is for us to live lives that are conformed to this world despite professing faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, we feel this challenge, don't we? We regularly look and and we feel the pull to be conformed to the systems that we find ourselves in without rethinking deeply from the Word of God whether the systems themselves are affecting our behavior, whether our whole way of thinking about what matters are affecting our responses. So he says the alternative is we become conformed to this world. The term conformed there may be translated in some other translation as conformed to the patterns of this world. Because the word is, it's really complex. It's uh, suscomitizo. Now, let me break that down. It means the S-U at the beginning, sus, means to put yourself under. And the schematizo is just the word for schematic. So what happens is, when we step into the world, we've embraced a schematic that we've placed ourselves under, and it's trained us. Our decisions have trained us. There's ideas that we are being pressed to receive and trust in. And when we embrace that idea, it determines a lot of other things. You see, never underestimate the effect of something you've devoted yourself to. <laughs> and, and there are different levels in which we devote our lives to things and we commit our lives to things. But when you think about the, the commitments you made or the things you've embraced as true, those things are shaping the decisions that you are making day by day. You've, you've submitted yourselves under the schemes of those ideas. And if you've never examined the ideas that are the schemes that make up your life, You've submitted yourself to ideas that may be running contrary to what God wants to do in your life. And all of a sudden, your will has trouble being strengthened to do what's right because you've already embraced ideas that are going to cause you to do what's wrong. You're living out of the ideas that are shaping you and the ideas that the world wants to sell to you that are contrary to who God is. So Paul says we need to bring our bodies... (laughs) our entire practical life under the renewed image and teaching of God's word to be retrained. To be retrained. The genuine Christian life brings itself and its embodied decisions continuously before God to see the plan and purpose that God has ordained for us and to act in a way that is in line with his promises and glorious future for us. Complete devotion is this presenting of our bodies to God so that we can be reformed in his image. Lastly, what we see, number four in this passage, is that complete devotion is the road to discerning God's will. Complete devotion is the road to discerning God's will. Let's just read verse 2 again and listen to how it talks about God's will here. He says, do not be conformed to the world, 
but be transformed. That word is the same word we get metamorphosis from. And the idea here actually is that there's a power to change us that can do more than conform. (laughs) You know, if we've been conformed out of shape, the power of the Holy Spirit can transform us with new desires, new truth, new ideas, new clarity, new power to bring us into the image of God. It can undo what sin has done in us. In a sense, God's grace through the Holy Spirit restores the nature that God intended for us to exhibit. And we can be metamorphosized. Your life can be changed and transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. God can make something new out of your life. Paul says here that we are to be transformed by this renewal of our mind so that, look at the last half of the verse, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Anybody here want to know God's will? I mean, for several times in the life of Pillar Church, we've done a series here where we've asked people to submit questions and then built our sermon series around the questions that they submitted. We've done it uh, with our members. We've done it with people in the community. We've done it at uh, events where we took in for a period of time lots and lots and lots of questions. And then in the summer, we just lined up eight of those questions and we found passages that answered them and did them. And every time, the most frequent question that we get is, I want, I want to know what God's will is for this situation. I want to know how to figure out God's will for my life. I want to have a sense of what my purpose is. There are questions all the time about God's will. And, and when I spend time with you and, and pastoring you through different situations, regularly we have conversations where you're saying, you know, could you pray for me, pastor? I really want to know what God's will is in this situation. All the time. And we, we, when, when, if you are a Christian, you probably have a deep hunger To understand God's will. Because in a sense, if we could just clearly know and understand God's will, we're convinced we'd obey it, right? Or at least we would know where our weaknesses are (laughs) as we try. And how much resolve we really have. People want to know God's will. If they're facing a decision, they'll ask me to pray. You likely have things in your life right now where you would really like to have a confident understanding of what God would have you do in that situation. Here's where Paul brings this all together. Paul shows us that God's will is more like a learned pattern as we live a life of devotion to him. That God's will is like a learned pattern that we discover as we live a life devoted to his truth. And it becomes more apparent to us. You can increase in your understanding of his will for a variety of decisions as you consistently practice living out his will in the clear specifics. You see, this is what happens when we learn to get in the pattern of God's instruction, this renewed way of thinking and living in the world, patterned around the gospel. We begin to obey what is really clear in God's word. The things that are unclear in our lives begin to have a fresh look, and we start to have insight about the way God would instruct us to act in those particular situations. 
when we let our mind be renewed with the ideas of God's word and present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice and begin to live in obedience to him, we begin to see the pattern of God more clearly and come to believe it genuinely leads to life. And Paul says that by testing, that means repeatedly testing, repeatedly doing what God says and trusting what God has instructed, we come to learn to discern God's will. Let me put it in a simple phrase for you. Devotion precedes discernment. If you want to know God's will, devotion precedes discernment. Let me try to say it in a few different ways. That means that walking in God's will is what leads to understanding it for the future. Devotion precedes discernment. That means that submitting to God's will allows us to see it in action and become familiar with it. Devotion leads to discernment. We learn God's will through the experience of obedience and communion with God over the details of our lives. Knowing God's will is like the trained musician who can anticipate the right note or chord because it is deeply ingrained and not just because it comes next on the page. Knowing God's will is like the quarterback who knows to call the right audible at the scrimmage line because he has been watching lots of game film and just knows the right decision for the right situation. Knowing God's will is like the Marine who gets the commander's intent so well that when the initial plan goes sideways, they can still move towards the objective. We learn God's will by presenting our bodies before God for the task of obedience according to his word until it becomes a part of us and we're able to see what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect in the situations of our lives. Listen, this is the call of the gospel in our lives. A reasonable response to God's mercy to offer the entirety of our practical life as worship to God, to put our bodies before God, to reform our habits along the lines of the patterns of His will until we can anticipate the moments ahead of us with clarity and cooperation in His kingdom that is eternal and never ends. I just want you to know, you will never learn to submit. You know, all this talk about this, you know, he's saying offer as a sacrifice to submit ourselves to God. And you think, oh man, just another message about submitting myself to God. Sounds hard. Sounds like something I don't really want to do. Sounds like it's going to challenge me. But you know, You'll never learn to rejoice in the opportunity to submit yourself to God until you see Christ's life for you, entirely submitted, entirely devoted to the will of God to save and rescue you from your sin. You see, Jesus used the entirety of his devotion of life as an act of worship so that the love of God could be so expressed over your life that you would know that God can be entirely trusted to be submitted to. That he's worthy of every moment of your life because Christ gave the entirety of his so that you could be forgiven and set free. You see, when you see that... 
All of a sudden, this language of devotion and offering our lives as a sacrifice to God becomes glorious and beautiful, and we begin to desire it and imitate it because it's that kind of devotion that saved and rescued us from our sin. And so Paul says, because of the mercies of God, I appeal to you Brothers, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your reasonable service to God, so that you won't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing, moment by moment, you will be able to discern what the will of God is what is acceptable, pleasing, and perfect in his sight. And live out of the glorious power of Christ's work on your behalf. I wonder if you have ever really brought your life before Jesus and said, Lord, because of your devotion to save and rescue me from my sin, I by faith want to trust in your promises and live a life of devotion to you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. In a moment, we're going to sing again. And as we do that, I just want to take a moment right now before the Lord for you to respond to God. I'm not going to ask you to make your way up to the front or anything like that during this moment, but I want to encourage you right there where you're at to begin to just respond to the Lord with what you've heard. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, as you've heard this, you realize you you never understood this message of mercy from God. You've been trying to add spiritual things on as a portion to your life, but today God has made it clear to you that you are a sinner who needed the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to receive this gift that Paul talks about in Romans, this offering of God to you of Jesus Christ on your behalf so that you could be forgiven, have your sins paid for and reconciled to him. And right there where you're at, it doesn't take any special thing from me. I would encourage you in the seat where you're at, if you have never taken a moment in your life to turn from your sin and to express your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to invite him to come in and change your life, now is the time. And there's nothing more important. This, is, this work that he has done is worthy of our complete devotion, of your complete response of your life. And if that's your desire right now, I would encourage you just to pray. I can, I'm going to lead you in a prayer just that you can say from your heart to God's heart and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I haven't lived a life devoted to you broken many things in my life, not been able to change the things I need. But today, because of your mercy, I want to put my faith in you and be made new. Thank you for sending Jesus to the cross for my sins. I receive what he did for me as a gift so that I can be forgiven, have eternal life. Fill me with your spirit. And make me new. Transform me. And change me. So that I can be like you. 
if you prayed that prayer from your heart this morning and place of sincerity before God. The Lord hears. He says, if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. It doesn't matter how long you've been going to church. Maybe today was the first time it really, your eyes were opened. I want to encourage you to tell someone before you leave today that today you decided to devote your life to living for Christ and you trusted Him by faith. But as we get ready to go into a time of taking the Lord's Supper. If you're a Christian, if you've professed faith, we're going to invite you to join us in taking the elements that are going to go around in a moment. But maybe just right now, prepare your heart before the Lord. Ask Him to point out areas in your life where you really haven't considered what it looks like to be practically devoted to Him. That you've kept to yourself. Ask Him for the power to experience real change in that area transformation. Lord, we pray right now that as we respond and reflect in this time and prepare for your table, Lord, that you would remind us of the devotion of Christ's life for us that has saved and rescued us from our sin. That it would create in us a desire, Lord, to live devoted lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.